0: Father, truly it is a privilege to be gathered here this morning as your church. It's a privilege to come boldly before you in Christ alone. To know that you not only hear our prayers, but that you are at work for our good and for your glory. Father, now as we turn our attention to your word, we pray that your spirit would work through your word. That we would Listen to what you are saying to us. That we would be encouraged and that we'd be challenged. That you would change us for your glory. I pray all this in the name of Jesus Christ. Amen. Have you ever been in a situation where you have accidentally offended somebody? Probably. I'm assuming most of us have. Uh, I know that I have. What's funny about it, well, looking back, when something like that happens, is you tend to, once you've offended them once, you kind of offend them again, right? You keep digging yourself deeper and deeper in this hole as you're trying to get out of it. It's the worst. And I seem really good at it. So we come to our passage this morning. Jesus offends those who are with him. But as we'll see, it's not really Jesus that offends them, it's the truth that offends them. So as we work our way through this passage, we'll see a great offense in verse 60. Verses 61 to 66, an even greater offense. And then in verses 67 to 71, a great confession. Confession. It starts in verse 60 with a great offense. Before we even jump into the verse, I want to kind of give the background. The very first word is, therefore. That tells us that we're jumping here into the middle of something that is ongoing. The middle of a story. There's a a context to what we see here. Therefore. As we come to the end of John 6, we're coming to the end of the bread of life discourse. In fact, John 6, the entire chapter, covers about two days. In those two days, Jesus has fed what we call the feeding of the 5,000. More likely, it was fifteen to 20,000. He has walked on water. He's delivered his disciples across the sea. And then he has taught So as we come to this passage, there's a lot of background. There's a lot. It has been a busy two days of teaching and miracles. In this bread of life discourse, Jesus has said many important things. In fact, if you back up in John 6, it, it's Starts with this. He basically says, you, you misunderstand me. You misunderstand me. He starts out saying, if you remember, the people follow him from where he had, had provided bread, where he'd given them a meal, they follow him to Capernaum. And when they get there, they the crowd comes, they say, Where have you been? And Jesus says, You're following me for the wrong reasons. Don't labor for bread that perishes. Labor for what really matters, eternal life, which is the gift of God. You misunderstand me. I'm not here to fill your bellies. I'm here to satisfy your souls. I'm not here to do miracles just to impress you. In fact, he kind of goes on building on that in this discourse, and, and he goes on to basically say that, that your need is not political or physical, but it's spiritual. That would have been offensive to these people. Many of them who would consider themselves spiritual people. I'm a Jew. I go to the festivals. I obey the law. I do my best. I am spiritual. What do you mean? I have a spiritual need. But Jesus says, I am the bread of life. Him who comes to me will never thirst, never hunger. Jesus goes on, and he starts near the end of this discourse to use some very strong language. he says basically I will give my flesh for the world, it's sacrificial language I have come to give my flesh for the world and then he uses very striking language to talk about the nature of faith using metaphorical languages where he says you must eat my flesh, you must drink my blood. Language that would have been very offensive to these Jews who say, we we, we never drink blood, that's against the law. What do you mean? Why are you talking like this, Jesus? So it's at the end of this long discourse where Jesus has basically told them, I am here to satisfy your greatest need. I'm not here to entertain you. I'm not here to fill your bellies. I'm here to save your souls. I'm here to give my life for the sake of the world. And you must believe. You must accept in your, your deepest part of you. You must believe me. So to we come to verse 60, it is therefore after this, many of his disciples, when they heard this, said, This is a hard saying. Who can understand it? Many of his disciples, when they heard this, said, this is a hard saying. The word hard there is not necessarily the idea of hard to understand, but this is harsh. This is offensive. What you are saying, Jesus, is very offensive. Who can understand it? Or or who will stand for this? Who will hear it? The problem is that they have heard Jesus, but they have not listened to him. They understand him literally instead of figuratively. They're not really listening to him. How many times have you, I, I, know, I, I do this often, I'll, I'll be in a discussion with someone and they'll be talking and I'm thinking about my next point, the next thing I'm going to say, right? I'm not really listening to what they're saying. I'm, I'm hearing what they're saying, but I'm more interested in what I'm about to say. I have my preconceived idea of what they're saying and I am going to tear that apart with what I'm going to say next. That's what's going on here. Jesus is talking to them. And Jesus is, is explaining, he's, he's speaking figuratively. But they hear what they want to hear. They don't hear what he's saying. And he offends them. It's interesting, too, notice who is offended? Many of his disciples. That's a change from the way the rest of this chapter has talked. In verse 51, it says, or in verse 41, it says, it is the Jews grumbled. In verse 52, the Jews disputed among themselves. It is set up as Jesus and the Jews going back and forth. And it is the, the Jews who disagree with him. It is the Jews who are, uh, have a problem. It is the Jews who are offended. And yet as you come to the end, it says, therefore, many of his disciples. We expect it now to say, okay, therefore, many of the Jews left him. But his disciples, they were faithful. They got it. Many of his disciples are offended. Notice here that the offense of the gospel goes beyond race or religion. The gospel offends all because all have sinned, because all fall short of the glory of God. And yet the good news is that the gospel offers hope for all on the flip side. And so there has been a great offense. This is a hard saying. It's offensive. It is is harsh. We will not stand for this. Verse 61, however, there's a greater offense. Jesus knew in himself that his disciples, now it's important to pause here. When you see the word disciples in this passage, it's a very broad term. It's not necessarily here talking specifically of the twelve. It's very broad. Anyone who has followed Jesus or is following Jesus. It could just be someone who followed him from when he provided a meal yesterday to today. They are a disciple. They have followed him to where he is now. So when Jesus knew in himself that his disciples, those who came with him, not those who were already in the synagogue, but those who came with him, his disciples complained about this, he said to them, does this offend you? Verse 61, we have that, that phrase again, Jesus knew. It's a phrase that's been showing up all throughout John. Jesus knows the heart of men. He knows their struggles. He knows their complaints. He knows what is going on. Jesus knew they complained. So he says to them, does this Does this offend you? What then, if you should see the Son of Man ascend where he was before? What then, if you should see the Son of Man ascend where he was before? There's two ways that you could understand uh, verse 62. Jesus could be saying, does this offend you? well, just wait what's going to happen next. You're going to be offended even more. Or he could be saying, does this offend you? Well, just wait till you see what happens next, and this will take away all offense, and you will see the truth. The reality is, I think what Jesus is saying here is both of those. Because it matters what you believe. So, what is coming next will either strengthen your faith, or it will offend you, either even more, depending on what you believe about Jesus. So, what is coming next? What does he say there? Well, well, if the, does this offend you? Well, well, what then? If you should see the Son of Man, Christ, ascend where He was before. When we see the word ascend, a lot of times our mind jumps directly past the cross, past the resurrection, to Christ's ascension. But that misses kind of the weight of this because the road to the ascension goes through the cross. Jesus is here referring to the cross. He's referring to everything on that road to ascension where he returns from where he came. In verse 38, he says, I have come down from heaven. He says now, I'm going back there and I'm going to ascend. There's a road for me to get there. I'm not going to ascend before I've accomplished the purpose for which I've been sent. And that purpose is to die, to rise again victorious. So, the road to the ascension goes through the cross, it goes through the tomb, and it is an offensive road. If what I say offends you, just wait till you see me on the cross. Lift it up to die. See, these people are looking for a Messiah, but they're looking for a Messiah that meets their expectations. In their mind, Messiahs don't die. They deliver. They fail to realize that it is through Christ's death that He will deliver. And what Christ is saying here is if I am not meeting your expectations here, I'm not going to meet your expectations on the cross. Because I am not here to deliver you from the Romans, I am not a political savior. I'm here to save you from your sins, to deliver you from death. So if you are looking for me to save you from Rome, you're just going to be more and more offended because I'm going to fall short in your mind because I'm not here to do that. I'm here for a greater purpose. I'm here to meet your greatest need. So what then if you should see the Son of Man Ascend where he was before. Depending on what you believe about Jesus, that will either cause even greater offense or it will encourage you. He's here to bring life. He goes on in verse 63. It is the Spirit who gives life. It's the Spirit who gives life. It is the gift of God. It's not something that is earned. In fact, the the flesh profits nothing. Jim this morning in Sunday school mentioned Romans 3, 28-30. Where Paul says something very similar to what Christ says here. He says, therefore we conclude that a man is justified by faith apart from the deeds of the law. Apart from the deeds of the law, the law, the flesh, profits nothing. The flesh, your works, it, it doesn't even turn you in the right direction. It doesn't even start you on the right path. It profits nothing. It is the Spirit who gives life. And the words that I speak to you are spirit, and they are life. Jesus is speaking the truth. Powerful, spirit-filled, life-giving truth. If they would just listen and believe. But, verse 64, there are some of you who do not believe. Again, Jesus knows their hearts. For Jesus knew from the beginning who they were who did not believe and who would betray him. That's a fascinating statement. As Jesus is here pleading with this crowd to believe, he knows. He knows. I don't know if you've ever sat under preaching where you felt like a person was just preaching straight to you. I remember many messages where I'm sitting there and I just feel like they, they they, they have to know. They are talking right to me. Can you imagine sitting under Jesus' ministry where he does know? And as he is speaking and his eyes are scanning across that crowd and his eyes meet you. He knows. Talk about convicting. Jesus knew from the beginning who they were, who did not believe and who would betray him. We'll come back to that idea in just a second. And he said, therefore, I have said to you, no one can come to me unless it has been granted to him by my father. No one can come to me unless it's been granted to me by my father. It's a fact that Jesus has plainly explained throughout this discourse. Sinners are commanded to believe. They are personally responsible for their sin, for their unbelief. And yet at the same time, faith is a gift. And only those drawn by God will believe and will come. Verse 66, from that time then, many of his disciples went back and walked with him no more. Many, a large number, went away and walked with him no more. The language here is decisive, it is final. They have heard all they want to hear, and unfortunately, they failed to listen. I think there's another lesson here as well. And it's not the size of the crowd or the popularity of the message that determines the truth. Jesus is speaking the truth. They just refuse to hear it. So often we are drawn to, to large crowds, to, to, to big, successful ministries. And that's not to say that a, 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 a big ministry, whatever that is in your mind, is not preaching the truth. But just because they're big doesn't mean they are preaching the truth. Success in ministry is not based on numbers, but disciples. Those who are growing in Christ souls that are saved. Another interesting thought that popped into my head this morning during Sunday school, actually, Jim, wherever you are. There you are. Jim was talking this morning in 2 Corinthians about and and, and Paul states this in 2 Corinthians uh, 6, verses 3-12. to He talks about how, how I have tried to give no offense. Verse 3, we give no offense in anything that our ministry may not be blamed. And yet here we see Christ giving offense. So the question is, do Paul and Christ not agree? No, that's not the answer. In fact, if you look at verse 12 of Corinthians 6, says this, you are not restricted by us but you are restricted by your own affections. Paul's point is this, if you are offended, you're offended because of the gospel. You're not offended because of something that I have done. It's the same thing we see here. They're not offended because of something Jesus has done. He didn't break the bread right and therefore they're offended they're offended because he's speaking the truth. And the truth of the gospel offends. It was called a stumbling block. But the truth of the gospel also saves. And so we must preach the truth. As we come to verse 67, we see then a great confession. Verses 67 to 71. Now, here we are the specific, the 12 disciples. Jesus said to the 12, his closest followers, specifically called by him, Do you also want to go away? Do you also want to go away? D.A. Carson notes this, the question is asked more for their sake than for his. They need to articulate a response more than he needs to hear it. And so Simon Peter speaks up. It's very similar to his confession of Christ at Caesarea Philippi. He gives a very strong answer, Lord, to whom shall we go? Because you have the words of eternal life. Amen, Peter. You're you're right. Also, we have come to believe and to know that you are the Christ, the Son of the living God. We've come to to believe, to consider this to be true, and to to know, to come to know that you are the Christ, the Son of the living God. Peter and the disciples, the the, the twelve, they get it. They haven't just heard what Jesus said, they have listened Now, there, there, there is a hint of pride here in Peter's answer. As he says, also we have come to know, to, to believe and to know. It almost implies some kind of special knowledge that, that the twelve had. And Peter thinks, because, because we are closest to Jesus, therefore we know, we get this. But Jesus quickly sets Peter straight and reminds him, you didn't choose me, Peter, I chose you. Jesus said to them, "I did did I not choose you, the twelve? And one of you is a devil. Yet one of you who know me will betray me. He spoke of Judas Iscariot, the son of Simon, for it was he who would betray him, being one of the twelve. That is fascinating to consider. What's really fascinating is when when you pause and you recognize when in Jesus' ministry this whole conversation is taking place. This is taking place a year before Christ's death. A year before. A year before. And Jesus, he already knows. He's referenced it twice in here. He knows who will betray him. And yet, for the next year, day by day, Jesus loves Judas. He continues to disciple Judas, to teach him. He knows something about Judas that Judas may not even have any idea of yet. And yet Jesus continues to love and to minister to the one who will betray him right beside him. Jesus did not set out in this discourse to offend this crowd. Jesus is just speaking the truth. In fact, he has said several times throughout here, I am the bread of life. Won't you believe I have come to give my flesh for the world? Belief. Time and time again throughout here is a call to belief, and yet they choose not to. Instead, they are offended because they hear not what Jesus is saying. They hear what they want to hear. So by way of application, I think it's good for us to ask ourselves this morning, why are you here? Why are you following Christ? Have you, like the disciples, listened to the gospel? Has it shaken you to your core? Have you come to the realization that you are a sinner before a holy God who will justly judge you and condemn you? And yet that same God loved you so much that he sent his only son to die on the cross for your sins to bear your punishment to take your death and to give you life if you will but believe have you merely heard some things that sounded good are you here today because your family says that you should believe and so you call yourself a christian are you here today because it makes you feel good to come to church week after week? You're not a Christian because you're at church. You're not a Christian because your family tells you you should believe. It is a personal decision. You must listen to the gospel. You must turn from your sin to Christ. Don't just hear the truth of God's word this morning. Listen to it. And I am not foolish enough to think that if one of the twelve who was personally chosen by Jesus did not believe, that there is someone here this morning who has not believed. Don't look to someone beside you. Look to your own heart. Have you believed? are you just going through the motions? Can you say with Simon Peter, you have the words of eternal life. We have come to believe that you are the Christ, the Son of the living God. If you have not, as the application all throughout the book of John, every single week, I would call to you this morning, turn to Christ. Believe, for he is the Son of God. If you have not heard the testimony of Nicodemus, of John the Baptist, of the woman at the well, if you have not heard the testimony of those who have been healed, will you hear the testimony of Christ himself this morning? Turn to him in faith. Turn and find grace. Find forgiveness. Find life in him alone. If you are offended by the gospel, that's the first step. As Jim mentioned this morning, you must first be lost. You must know you are lost before you can be found. The gospel is offensive because it is hard to hear that I am a sinner. It is hard to hear that there is nothing that I can do on my own but just because it's hard to hear doesn't mean it's not true. Just because it's hard to hear doesn't mean I need to hear it. Won't you hear the words of Christ, the words of the gospel this morning? A great offense that when properly understood leads to a great confession. Confession.